If you're hearing this on an Android device and you haven't checked out the Podcast Republic app, I'm guessing it's your first time listening to this podcast. And if so, welcome. welcome. This hey. is Dissecting the 80s. We are so glad to have you. If you uh, are not in that situation, uh, go check out the Podcast Republic app on the Google Play Store. There's thousands of good reviews telling you how wonderful it is, so you don't have to take my word for it. That's the Podcast Republic app on the Google Play Store. If you like this show and you want more of it, there's an easy way to get it. It's at patreon.com slash dissecting the 80s. If you sign up now at the $5 tier and become a member there, you get 13 plus hours of bonus content instantly. And then uh, we do a bonus episode every three months. So we got one coming up uh, just around the corner in March. And we do all sorts of fun little things and oddities for you, like our annual Christmas mentary that has nothing the to do new, with Christmas. newly minted annual Christmas Newly mentary. minted. So go visit patreon.com slash dissecting the 80s today. I was like, oh, I would do the $5 tier if it included X. That's how we got stickers, y'all. Because you spoke. Yes. So we would love to hear from you if there's something that you really want. Uh, reach out and we'll, we'll see if we can, we can make that work. That's patreon.com slash dissecting the 80s. Welcome to Dissecting the 80s. I am Triplano, one half of the Mega Podcasting Powers. And with me, as always, is a one-time Mr. Mushnick, the Macho Mandrew. Andrew Leno. Once upon a time. Uh, let's see, so if I'm 28, uh, that was 13 years ago. Yeah. That is gross <laughs> to think about. How dare you? Uh, we are jumping into a new... February tradition here on the podcast. February served us really well for a long time. We love it. We have great fun memories of it. But it's time had come, and we have a new tradition now, which is the very sweatily named by me on purposely bad favorite spewery. Hopefully, this will go over better than New Coke. Call back to <laughs> <laughs> uh, Andrew's birthday comes first in February, so he picked the Little Shop of Horrors. And uh, I guess you should, uh, well, you know what? Let's do this first. We watched Little Shop of Horrors because it's Andrew's favorite. So you know what that means. We gotta go back. We gotta go dissect the 80s. It's your immaculate puppet work. Something's gotta be done about your immaculate puppet work. When the mega powers explode. I'm talking about the 80s. Oh, yeah. Great Scott. Queen of the crop. Oh, yeah. Mega powers, yeah! When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. So I was going to ask the question before we did the, the intro there. Do you remember the first time you saw this Absolutely. movie? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, so hit, hit, I always it. talk about how this was my growing up movie and growing up musical. Like a lot of people, for a lot of people, it was Grease. Sure. Never. That was just not a thing. I didn't see Grease until I was in high school, I want to say, or like I'm grade. not certain. I'm not certain I've like sat down for a Grease viewing A to Z. I'll be I'm honest, not certain. it is longer than it should be, and the messaging isn't super great, and the songs are fine. Like, you have a handful of good songs in there, and then everyone forgets that there's like a lot more songs in Grease than you remember, and they're not all winners. Yeah. They're not all summer nights. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but at our grandmother's house uh, in Delaware, she had um, four VHS tapes. She had Cats, the Broadway musical. And I was like, no, get out of here. 
I watched it once and I was like, this is not for me. I think I turned it off. She had, I think it was like Muppet. Which honestly, the like all, all of us are very lucky. That's how that went down. Yes. Like in another world, a sliding, I'm having a sliding doors moment here of, you know, if, if you were, if you were born just 40 seconds earlier or, you know, something, some minor brain chemical change. Yeah. Yeah. That, that instead of it being this, which is infinitely more tolerable than cats, it would have been cats. Could have been. Um, the, so I've actually, cats is a fun, like that, there, that original Broadway production recording, or I don't know if it's original. It's a fun drinking thing because if like you're at put it on in the background of a party because there's no plot so you can kind of tune in and out and be like whoa what's happening eat it eat a brownie wink and (laughs) and uh enjoy yourself so she i watched i watched the the new one with a commentary track from another podcast that i like oh and i was stunned at how I just, like, I, I got halfway through and I was like, I can't, even with the jokes, I can't take this anymore. So I just finished the commentary without the movie at another time. Frankly, I imagine the new one is also best enjoyed with a brownie or a cocktail based on everything I've seen about it. So, yeah, I mean, I think your whatever altering substance of choice you prefer is the way to go there. But I, it was just, I had, I was like going into it going, oh, I'm going to have a drink and watch this. And it was just like, oh, this is brutal. Well, because my mini soapbox here what's really great about the original production of cats for the people who enjoy it i am not one of those people clearly is that like the costumes and makeup and set were all amazing and it was cool and it was different and so to be like you know what we're gonna do none of that and it was like okay like how are you gonna like the apparently the camera work is not great so you can't really see all the dancing which is just common of movie musicals now and i'm like Pull into a wide and hold it there for three goddamn minutes. Yeah. Looking at you, Mamma Mia. Hamilton is super close up too, which doesn't have a lot of dancing, so it Well, Hamilton is, was, a f- again, a filmed stage production. Yeah, 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 I just, I had the same thing there, where I was like, a lot of times you're in this real tight close-up of somebody singing, but it, you kind of want to see everything that's happening at once. Yeah. It just, I don't understand what they were thinking when they were like, let's not do any of the, we're only going to keep the dancing and the song memory, and that's it. Bad choice. Anyways, so Nan had Cat's original. Uh, she had, I want to say it was like Muppets Fairy Tale Theater, Emperor's New Clothes, where Fozzie was the emperor. Okay. And then she had Mary Martin's Peter Pan. And I was like, why is this old lady saying she's Peter Pan? I don't get it. Right. And Little Shop. And of the four, I was like, this is the only one where the, well, like, Muppets are fine, but like, this is. This is a whole, you know, new... That's not exactly peak Muppet material. No, it's not. It was also... Because it wasn't even like a full-length thing. It was like two fairy tale things with the Kokomo music video stuck in the middle. (laughs) Is that the song? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Okay. So I grew up with this musical for as long as I can remember because we visited Nan. She lived in that house forever until she moved, right? Right. Yeah. So that was just sort of my thing. And then uh, in high school, when I was in eighth grade, they were like, we're doing Little Shop of Horrors. And I was like, oh, great. I want to do that. And if I'm a freshman, I have to bust my ass in order to get anything. And I was Mr. I got Mr. Mushnick. Because if you are... You were in ninth grade for that? I thought you yeah, were older than nope. that. That was my first okay. year. My first year. Uh, if you are competently funny... In high school, you will play older characters, which is what I did for four years. Right. <laughs> it's hard to be a character actor at 
13 14, 14 whatever <laughs> yeah yeah it's a tough it's a tough slot to fill uh so obviously you've you you've loved this forever i have to tell you i was feeling a little trepidatious heading into this when's the I last like, time you saw it probably when you were in it really yeah yeah i mean there's no way i would have put this movie on i mean so but like that even from a film nerd perspective of like so because that's the thing that's, if this is even if like you don't like musicals, if you are a film nerd, you should watch this movie because it is just a like a laundry list of 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 film excellence and like how to do things correctly. There's a lot that I like in this movie, and I, I'm not gonna fight you hard on that. But I for and I was thinking about this today while I was taking a walk because I knew we were gonna talk about it, and I was trying to figure out like what it was because I can't quite put my finger on the answer to this. But it's just a movie I I never have any desire to watch, and it's not because I don't like it. It's not because I think it's bad. It's like it it checks a bunch of boxes for me. But it's just something. Even having watched it this time and been like, "Wow, I really enjoy that," I will probably never watch it again. I wonder you know? if like I I wonder if watching the theatrical release would change your mind at all because it is more of an upbeat. It's it has nothing to do with the ending. It's just like the whole like I just I'm never I as I'm not a person. I, I used to be somebody who was really against the musical as a form, and now I don't feel that way. I, I just don't seek them out. So I just think that's it. Like, it just, I don't think musicals are a scourge or something. I don't have a vendetta against yeah. them, but I also have just no, like, they just do very little for me. And so I just don't really. Unless it's singing in ever, the rain, the musical right, about the invention um, of musicals. <laughs> But 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 I will I should caveat that as like we always make that joke and it's true I do think that movie is great I haven't watched Singing in the Rain since I that. watched it yeah I watched it in college for a film class and was stunned by how much I enjoyed it but I have only ever seen it that one time when I was twenty in a film class so it's been fourteen years and I haven't gone back to to watch it again okay. so. I, so like maybe I don't like it, you know, but I I, I fondly recall It'll it, and it's up. on. It's it, but it's probably sure, something you yeah. will seek out, right? So I think there's like that element to it of, and, and, and I think the I th- I have been pondering this. I think what it comes down to for me is the style of music I like would be bad in musicals, or the thing in musicals that I don't like the most is the style closest to the music I actually enjoy listening to. Like I listen to the Ava brothers, like folky rock music. It would probably be the, like their upbeat stuff is not like this, but their more ballady songs are like suddenly Seymour, which is the song where I'm like, um, I'm going to go get it. Fill my glass of water. Suddenly Seymour is that song for you? Anytime we get down tempo, I'm like totally checked out of the movie musical. Suddenly Seymour is like like one of the best songs. It's 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 good, but I'm just like anytime we're in Sad Town, I'm just like I got no business. That's not Sad Town. That's Romantic Town. No, the song sounds inherently sad. The tone, the musicality. I I I actually okay. This is we're we're getting. It's got. I think we're getting into. Go ahead. I think it has a like pulsing drive to it that it sounds like uplifting and like hopeful. So I recently was having this discussion with my girlfriend about a completely different thing, just music in general. But I was playing a song that I really liked and she was like, and I, and 
I have this very odd thing where I engage with music not on a lyrical level, but on a music level. And okay. like when a song hits for me, it's going to be melody based. It's going to be that. And there are times when I will know all of the words to a song, but never sort of cognitively engaged with what the song is saying. Hmm. And she was, she pointed out and I had forgotten that this happened, but you know, I was, I like to make, you know, mix whatever we called it a mix CD when I was a youth. Now it's just a playlist, but I like to do that. Like I like to find music and you know, we had started dating and I was like, we were sharing music and I made her a playlist and it was just stuff that I've been into that I thought she would also like. And a lot of it is like, Oh, I maybe I'd like to go see this band when they come into town. Let me see if you like them too, sort of thing. But she was like, did you listen to this song? And it was like, equivalent to CeeLo's fuck you of just this, like (laughs) you're a piece of shit and I hate you. And I was like, yeah, it rules. And she's like, it's like pretty weirdly aggressive about the woman that it's about. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess it is. And I just never it was like the melody is great. I like the rhythm of it and I like the musicality and I like the way that the person sings. But I so suddenly Seymour as a lyrical song is a love song no, but, but the music I think is the music like has a sweeping like grandness to it like it sounds yeah, but like, it's like mopey grandness i don't get mopey. it's not like do you hear the people sing with like a big rising do you yeah, hear but, the people but, sing but, is a dirge no when they do the reprise and it's like everybody's singing the song and it's like the power of all those vocals combining together it's like this goosebumpy huge power moment suddenly seymour is more like and it's like a slow mellow melodical moment and like i just it's like anytime we get get there i get get such a triumphance out of that song melodic yeah well it's fine all that to say uh i think that being someone who doesn't engage with music based on lyrics is why musicals don't land for me probably because i don't i don't have the the cognitive wherewithal to sort of go from dialogue to singing and the singing is important for advancing the plot. And I need to be paying attention to what they're saying and how they're saying it. And it takes, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't just land for me. And I think that's her, her bringing that up about the song and us having a laugh about it. I was like, you know, I think that that is sort of, I don't have the perfect answer, but I think that's probably where it sounds like it. This, that happens for me where that disconnect is, is like, I just don't engage with music that way. And, the point of a musical is that they sing about, you know, the plot or their feelings or their emotions or, or what have you. Yeah. It's, you can, different musicals use songs in different ways. I'm not trying to blanket anything, but you need to be able to engage with the lyrics in a way that I just don't know that I'm built for. Huh. I, I'd never, no, you never, I've, that's never come up before. That's fascinating. I, I just had this epiphany today. So I was like, I was really, sometimes I, I put myself on the therapist couch on the weirdest of topics. And this is <laughs> yeah, one of them, you know, like, let, let's dig into why you feel this way. And it's, again, it's not that I don't think that they're good or I don't think they're, they're good. I don't, it's not, that I think they're bad. It's just that I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't engage with me in the way that it should. All that to say, I do really enjoy this and spoilers. I, I will heartily recommend this. I think it's well made, but I pro- like, there's a very good chance. I'll just never watch it again. And not cause it's bad. and I don't like it. It's just like, I'm just never, ever going to be like, Oh, you know what I want to do today is watch a little shop. I don't know. I it's Ashman Menken. It's like one of the first things they did together. If not the first, cause I don't think they both worked on smile together. I think that was Ashman and someone else. I can't remember who, so like there's just so much like steeped in this 
Especially like sure, yeah. Howard Ashman being the like wizard that he is, this like lyrical wizard that he is. What I thought was really interesting, there's a I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but there's a new documentary about Howard Ashman that's uh, on Disney Plus. I think it's called Howard. Yeah, and our parents had watched it and were texting us about it, how much they liked it. And you mentioned that they and I probably would have gotten to this in the research, but I was glad to have the you know cookies put on the bottom shelf for me that they were the ones behind. Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast. So what happened was it was Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast, and they had started Aladdin. Okay, that's and okay. Ashman passed away due to AIDS-related complications. Uh, shortly, I think it was like when Beauty and the Beast would hit theaters. So okay, the Oscar yeah 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 they- was posthumous, and he had started a lot of work on Aladdin. There was an anecdote that I read that they went and saw him in the hospital and he was very, very sick at that point. But Beauty and the Beast was finished and they had shown it to critics and they were telling him about how the audiences were just loving it and that the critics were all very fond of it. And they like all of, like th- mm-hmm. they were basically telling him how how much people love this thing he had made on basically his deathbed. Yeah. I have like nine points there. I know. I have a couple within, points too. With arms, have- within arm's reach of this. So I'm trying to figure out which one to grab. The... The, the point that I had started to make when I should finish is so viewing that this time in the context of these are the people behind Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and also Aladdin. You can hear was it. Really f- well, absolutely. Because when Skid Row starts, they, they have a particular type. And I don't know if this necessarily is theirs, but I certainly would associate it with all of those things. And it was the song sung in the public square where a bunch of random passersby get to do one line in a funny voice mm-hmm. that really boosts the song. So I don't know if that's theirs, but it's certainly, uh, if it's not, they didn't invent it, they certainly perfected that particular they tool. that one. Because Skid Row, which the, the show movie starts with, is well, that's exactly that. It doesn't start with that. It starts with Little Shop. Oh, that's, it's that, sort that, of that's like, uh, that, like, it's like sort of drops you in on the title, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, but Skid Row is the like, and I would the closest equivalent would be Bell from Beauty and the Beast, the opening number. Well, it's that plus it's Aladdin in the one square. Jump ahead. And it's yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I blame parents except he hasn't got them. Mm-hmm. Like all that stuff yeah. is is very Skid Rowy. And I Little Mermaid doesn't have the town square scene, no, but, but it has, under the sea. Well, it also has part of your format. world, which is somewhere that's yes. green. Yes, no, it's it definitely. They literally is. called it somewhere that's somewhere that's wet is what they called it while they were writing when they were writing it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean whatever. If you write a really good song, oh, yeah, there's I'm not nothing to stop you from. Knew it. Yeah, I do the same shit all the time. Um, but the the other and so that point is is one I think we'll come back to and then we'll talk about Skid Row in a moment. And I do I do want to talk about that. But the other thing and this is really for you because that 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 reference is a large. Ball field. Yeah, that's a, this one a, is a this one brush. is the size. This is the size of my desk. Evil Dead the musical is almost like beat for beat the the songs of this stylistically. Oh yeah, like hundred percent. Every 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 song is. And I was wondering because we, they're we not in the same that, order, but you get all, no. you hit all the beats. But I was I was wondering if that maybe is due to they sort of created the and again i'm not i'm giving them credit for this and i don't know if it's true i i, I couldn't begin to get the answer to this cuz it's just a, a world that is not mine and i it was like trying to find the answer but little shop was a huge off broadway hit mm-hmm. like uh, from my understanding it's huge uh, it was so that's the thing. it was off off 
and then it transferred off. Okay. So it was it started like on the fringe of like I'm four people in the park screaming, and then it right. got to like have notoriety. So we saw Evil Dead the musical when it was somewhere between two offs and one off. I would guess. I think so. Actually, no. I think it was straight up just off because it was in okay. the same theater as Naked Boys singing, which is off Broadway. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> we we've probably told that story probably. before, but if not, we'll save it for an Evil Dead episode. But what I was thinking is perhaps that's because they sort of created the template for your B-movie style off-Broadway musical, which is a huge subgenre mm-hmm. in off-Broadway. I mean, there's the Toxic Avenger musical. There's, I mean, dozens and dozens, probably hundreds, yeah. frankly. I definitely think Little format. Shop was one of the first ones to do it and yeah. and do it successfully. Um, like, to the point where Little Shop in 1982 was off-off-Broadway, transferred off-Broadway, was so wildly successful, got a movie, and then in the year, I think it was 2005 or 2004, 2004, I think, maybe 03, there was a, a Broadway production finally on Broadway. And oh, wow. Because it was the, the Tony nomination committee was like, yeah, this is not counting as an original Broadway production. This is a revival. Because you had so much success off Broadway and you already had a movie made about like you already had a movie version of your musical. You don't get to come yeah. onto Broadway 30 years later and be like, we're, a, <laughs> oh, we're an original production. <laughs> Scrappy little upstart. Yeah, they're like, you're not an original production. You're a revival, which I think is maybe the first time that's ever happened. It certainly seems unprecedented that, that that exact sequence would happen, but even something to be a big hit off-Broadway, never make it, and then come back later seems unusual. Yeah. Well, it's also one of three movies that make my make a fun circle of a movie that got turned into a musical that got turned back into a movie musical. It's right, Hairspray, right. The Producers, and Little Shop, which is like two heavy hitter, like... Producers, I think, still holds the record for most Tony nominations with 12. Hairspray ran forever. I don't know if it's still on Broadway. I think it closed. And then it's like, and I'm pretty little, sure it's closed. And Little Shop. <laughs> yeah, no, I like I said, I have nothing bad to say about this movie. And it's like, I, I it's a super enjoyable and it's a it's a really cool story and, and lands right, right in the wheelhouse for me. The other thing, and this is like way headier of a topic than we normally discuss. And uh, oh, I'm here. If it's for not. Little Shop, I'm here for it. No, it's 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 more abstract than that. But I was I recently saw a clip, and I don't know how this filtered into my particular bubble, but it was a clip of uh, Fran Lebowitz, who's a, a, a writer. She's based in New York, and she's a, like a culture writer, mm-hmm. has been there for a long, long time. Sort of a New York character the same way scorsese is kind of a new york character and that they're famous and they've who was gonna direct this movie i saw that that was pretty wild actually and then i thought more about it and was like no that kind of that kind of lands for me like he probably saw it like he's a weirdo oh yeah well david geffen was like marty scores marty was gonna direct it for me and it's like what (laughs) yeah i mean scorsese and uh, we've told this anecdote before but scorsese and 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 George Romero lived close by each other in New York and they would rent the same movies and you had to rent, you had to rent an eight millimeter film or 16 millimeter film and the projector. And you'd come in and be like, can I rent X? And they'd be like, no, the Romero kid has it. (laughs) And it's like, they, like the, you know, they, that, that same orbit. So, but all that to say is the guy who made Night of the Living Dead and the guy who made Goodfellas had a shared influence. I think both of them happily would have been in a little shop audience. That's true. 
Anyway, so this Fran Leibovitz thing, which again is like way too heady for this podcast, and we also are thirty minutes barreling towards thirty minutes without having touched on the, the plot of this movie, which we need to rectify. I can't help it. She was talking about how the sort of second wave part of the AIDS crisis. Obviously, so many people died. People who were in the arts, people who were just you know regular everyday folks, but from an arts perspective specifically, and not to downplay other people. She was talking about that not only did you lose a generation of creators, but on top of that, you lost a generation of the would-be patrons and the people Mm -hmm. she was talking about specifically of, you know, all the people who would have been the tastemakers. That's like, I'm not, I don't make the art, but I have good taste and I, you know, champion things that are good. Yeah. All of those people died. And so the people who kind of rose up to fill were not as qualified. And she actually thinks it's sort of a direct line from the horrible wave of deaths of the AIDS crisis to the general lack of uh, interesting content. <laughs> like she wasn't, spe- she wasn't specifically talking about this endless cycle of reboots, regurgitations, et cetera. She, she, I'm, I'm putting those words in her mouth using her point that I thought was really interesting, but she, that was something she talked about. I was like, if those people were alive and I was like, oh, wait till you hear who here, wait till you hear has had two hits on Broadway and what they're bringing out. And like, mm-hmm. she's like, they'd be a guest. They'd be like, oh, what a cornball. How is that person doing that? But it was really interesting to me that it's like talking about the, the broader culture and how the gay community is such a big part of that and losing it really affected. It was like sort of a ripple effect of not just losing the p- folks who were going to make this stuff, but also the folks who would have properly appreciated that stuff yeah. and got it to shine, which I thought was really, really interesting. And I was thinking about that a lot watching this because obviously, you know, Howard Ashman died from AIDS. It's impossible not to think about that when you're watching this. So I just thought that was a really interesting. Well, I'd never considered that before. Obviously, I thought about all the creators and the creatives and those people, but it, it never occurred to me that there was like a second part of that. Yeah, well, I think it's also that like, Howard Ashman, you know, was a gay man, openly gay man, which wasn't really a common thing. Like, you didn't want to talk about it when you were in in the 80s. You didn't want to tell anyone you were gay because they would be like, they won't share drinks with you because they could get AIDS. Like, it was awful. And he was out and proud and, and doing his thing. And I think what's so interesting about the movie version is that, like, it's in... So the musical was wildly successful off Broadway, now it's getting made into a movie four years later, and the AIDS crisis has only gotten worse by 86. Right. And so all of those people that appreciated the movie, that appreciated the musical, there's more people who can who can see it now. And suddenly, the Faustian ending that I think is the most appropriate for the story, suddenly that ending doesn't resonate anymore. Suddenly that's not the ending people want to see. That like... This guy made a mistake. Seymour makes a mistake and signs a deal with the devil. And they want to see, no, 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 you can take it back. You can come back from that. Mm-hmm. Like, that's part of it, I think. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that makes I think that makes a lot of sense. The other thing that, and we should talk about this at the ending, but whatever. I don't know that Seymour makes the choice. Not in the movie. Okay. We'll get there because there's there's okay, there's okay. moments where that because that in the movie where I'm like the they part- take away some of Seymour's agency. Well, it's it's yeah because he he just like takes care of his plant 
And so, anyway, let's start talking about the plot, and then we can get to these things. As I, but anyway, that's the longest digression to start an episode ever, ever in the show. Probably. I love the opening. The overture is this grand. It, it's camp. It's got this amazing narration. The transition out of it for the, for the movie is beautiful. Like you're looking at this swirling galaxy. And then the narration ends, and it's a you realize you're looking at an oil puddle on a, on a gross yeah. New York street, and I love you have to that splash the foot through it. Yeah, yeah. I also was it struck me Frank Oz is a sneaky candidate for a high number of episodes. This is his, I believe, fourth uh, appearance, appearance on the show. Yeah, he's yeah. great. Uh, no, and it's just a guy that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be racking. He's up. he's got his fingers in a lot of pies in the eighties. Yeah, didn't want to do this movie originally. Oh, interesting. They were, I think he makes perfect oh, sense at it. He's got the the right sensibility exactly. and the puppet background. Yeah. He he was like, no, I don't. I I it's because so we'll get into it more when we eventually do Steel Magnolias. Um, the stage musical is essentially all in the flower shop, and occasionally you'll step like in front of it, and you have the street in front, and then sometimes they'll close yeah. the curtain for the dentist shop, and like that's it. There's no set. There's no like locations. Sure. Steel Mag- well, they probably spent a lot of money on the puppet, and so it's like we gotta cut the corners somewhere. Well, no, I just mean in the in so, on, but it's just sort of practical. You're off Broadway. You there's no guarantee you're gonna run. Right, and the theater's small. Yeah. Um. So it makes sense to do it that way. So he was like, "It's all in one space. I don't want to do that." And then he was like, "You know," he like went and saw it again and was like, "You know what? I think we can figure this out." And he basically like watched the show a hundred times wrote out a basically a treatment that was like here's how we can shuffle and arrange things showed it to ashman and menken and they were like we love this let's do it that way okay cool i didn't realize he was that hands-on but that's neat he he like developed it more than just directed yeah it. because it's there are a, a lot of differences some i think are you know give or like take or take him or leave him and some i'm like i th- i don't i disagree with that choice i think the opening song is such a great pump em up number and it's three people yeah, who uh, have delightful names that it didn't dawn on me. Crystal Renette and I, Chiffon. But those are all, if you put the in front yeah. of that, those are all those girl groups. Well, I, I, it's like, that's a nice, funny joke for, for the Broadway audience. Or not the Broadway audience, I guess, because they're all Motown singers. But that's a, that's funny, and I just, it never occurred to me. It's the first hint that, like, this is a movie in the 60s. This is making fun of the 60s. This is the 60s. Right. This is camp. This is, you know, a B movie. But on a thirty million dollar budget, like right, right, yeah. Tashina Arnold, Tisha Campbell, and uh, Michelle Weeks are the three girls: uh, Crystal, Renette, and Chiffon. And I think these characters really make the movie. Like without, they're the Greek chorus in this like very classic tragedy, tragic tragic comedy, you know, whatever. Um, And without them, I think it just falls flat. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- they really add a lot to it. I'm assuming they were there in the original. Oh yeah, they've too, been there the whole time. Yeah, they're 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 so much of a part of it. Um, so they do that first song. We go into the plant shop, and Seymour comes rushing up from the basement carrying a bunch of terracotta pots, and he drops them. And uh, this is so everybody knows about the Wilhelm scream. That's mm-hmm. like common. Like you're you don't even need to be a movie nerd to know about the Wilhelm scream. But I personally am on a crusade for two sound effects that I think are just as used as the Wilhelm scream. One of them I think we need to Frog stop ribbit? using. No, it's the sound of these pots being dropped, which I tried to find so I could drop it in here and I can't. But if you think of the sound of someone dropping a bunch of uh, cl- what's, terracotta, what's the general? 
Yeah, but it's not just terracotta. Someone could drop a bunch of china. Mm. Someone could drop a bunch of coffee cups. The like the sound of that hitting the ground is is constant. And then the other one, which I I, I have noticed to the point that it drives me bananas, is a creaky door open noise oh, that yeah. gets used in the Avengers level production and the guy who's shooting it on his iPhone <laughs> on his backyard with his kids. It's like everybody has this one creaky door open sound effect and people use it in places where the doors don't creak and it drives me crazy. I heard it in a, I swear to Christ, I heard it in a movie with a submarine, <laughs> which I guess that door is squeaky, metal, but yeah. the uh, submarine door is going to be well oiled. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I've also seen, they, they get, they get fully crazy. Sometimes I've seen people use the, like, the little pen lights for di- for like eye dilation that don't have a sound because it's just you touch yeah. the metal to the metal. And I watched someone in a movie hold it up and it was like, click, click, click. And yeah. I was like, that's, don't, that's yeah. not what happens. That doesn't bother me as much as it's everybody. You, like, we just need more door yeah. opening noises in the library is my beef. I don't care. Like, what you're describing I get is funny. But I was like, I just, I just, there are other door sounds you could use. But this is this leads right into Skid Row, right? They, they well, we also we meet Ellen Green, who gets who okay. has the like the film noir music with her on her heels. Is this is this what she actually sounds like? Almost. It's okay. it's she she puts on the like the highness, but like the okay. lispiness is there. Okay. Um, it's not super far off. She was in Pushing Daisies. It just seems like it would be really difficult to say order lunch at a deli. Yeah. Of, of above the general like above the general noise of like plates clinking and people chewing and murmuring and everything is like she's trying to order a sandwich it seems yeah it seems like that would be quite difficult yeah she was in uh pushing daisies and she was in uh oh she was in heroes for like an episode or two I do remember her being in that for you remember me losing my mind <laughs> yeah she played uh uh what's his heavy brow Zachary Quinto, he played. Yes. she played his mom. So they, so Skid Row is is uh, the song that I think has the most DNA of the Disney stuff. I think it's it's all over that for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the other part of it that is also a sort of uh, Ashman Menken classic is one character starts singing. And then there's a bit of a lull and then another character starts singing and the music is slightly changed. Like it's, it's like a, not quite a key change moment, but it slightly changes. So you kind of shift from protagonist A to protagonist B. And then up in the third act of this song, we realize they're singing the same song and they're singing together Mm -hmm. now, which is a classic move of theirs, which is all over those Disney movies. But it's like, it seems like two songs and it's like, Oh, no wait, JK. That's actually the the same song the whole time. Yeah, you got yeah. got. The song was coming from inside the house. This feels like gotcha music. Yeah, exactly. Um, I just it, it's, the other great thing is that like this song is so grimy. Like, oh yeah, they don't. The set's disgusting. Well, <laughs> this the, is gross. And the thing is, it's all it's it's like when you're in Disney World and you're in you know uh, the rock and roller coaster and you're like, oh, this is a grimy, you know, uh, parking garage. No, it's not. It was built. They made right. it look grimy. These every single set world. was built on the Albert Broccoli stages in London. Yeah, they're they're gorgeous, gorgeous sets. I, I love them so much. It's just cool that like normally it's pretty up until this point, musicals are pretty like flashy and splashy. And this is like, no, this is a song about how how much we hate being poor and how much right. we hate our jobs. <laughs> and yeah, and that the, the, the world sucks. just takes a dump on us all the time. Yeah, no, it's it's a very amusing song. 
so this, of course, leads us into Audrey 2 and a coffee can. And I, I love the... I want it so bad. <laughs> they sold a Funko I love... Pop. Oh, did they? I love the coffee can. I, I, I like that. And then they carry this aesthetic through in a scene not too long from now where we see uh, Rick Moranis's room, uh, <laughs> room used loosely. It's like the boiler room with a cot in yeah. it. But all of his little experiments are in whatever pot or vessel hands he can get he his can hands find. on. Yeah, so there's, I think, a Crisco over there. I think there might be a Spam plant. And mm-hmm. I just, I really like the the sort of aesthetic of it. It, it serves his character really He's well. a tragic accident away from being Poison Ivy, basically. <laughs> yeah, no, that that that's certainly about that. Certainly almost a Batman villain. This is where we get, so like, th- what I one of the things I love about this movie is that it is like, crystal clear and consistent in style and concept and that the style and the concept is also just like perfectly executed across the board so like it knows what how what kind of funny it is it knows what kind of style it is and the basically mr mushnick is like hey i'm closing the store forever don't bother coming into work and they say like no seymour's makes like found a weird plant let's put it in the window and he says just because you put a strange and interesting plant in the window people don't just suddenly and christopher guest walks in and goes excuse me i couldn't help but notice that strange and interesting plant like yeah it's very muppet like it's perfect energy yeah it's 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 very obvious that this is a muppet a adja- like frank oz being makes this muppet adjacent With, and brian henson worked on it Oh yeah, the the and one the one of the Henson daughters is an extra. Jim's in daughter the, is the the girl in the dentist office. Right, but he had three daughters. That's oh, what I meant by one of the Henson. Name. Yeah, yeah, there are three Henson daughters. I don't know all of their names, but one of them is the is she the headgear girl She's or the girl, girl with the doll? She's headgear okay. girl. That headgear girl is exactly the energy. I always say that I want to be in a movie with a head injury. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And like mumble that, a that few is what things. I want. Yeah, not necessarily yeah, I just, a line, I, but yeah. No, I don't. I don't need a line. I just want to have a really big head bandage and get walked by the camera. That's all <laughs> I want. I want to be a featured extra. There you go. Uh, so we get the song "Dadu," which explains how Seymour found the plant. Yeah, the florist it has in your, this scene. Your classic, your classic uh, Asian mystic nonsense of, of no, this era. It's not though. It's a solar eclipse. It has. It's he- no, no, no. But the the Asian man is. Like the part before the solar eclipse is very much the gremlins energy that we were ta- like we've talked about. Similar, yeah. I, I just appreciate that it's not a an ancient Chinese magic plant. Yes, it's not a gremlin yes, no, plant. I, yes, um, no, that is true. This florist uh, was in Batman, the nineteen eighty nine Batman, as a drug lord, okay. and then he was in Batman Begins as a prisoner. <laughs> That's awesome, right? Like that's, that's such a really, really cool. Little, like you were in the first of both. That's really great. Uh, so from the story, we learn that well, we we learn, but Rick Moranis does not yet that the during the solar eclipse, Audrey two kind of like beamed onto this like table of flowers, and so he bought her. Yeah. And Christopher Guest is so pleased by the story. He's like, "I'll buy fifty dollars worth of roses. You can't break a hundred. I'll take twice as many." Like, yeah. that's the world we're living in, people. <laughs> Buckle up. Yeah, yeah. It does a really great job of setting the table for here is what this is, 
and you don't have to like it, but I'm telling you right <laughs> this now, is very quickly. Yeah, we, this is the world, and you can take it or leave it, but I have set the table, and, and the rest of the movie is just more courses coming onto that same table. Mm-hmm. Which I think is another reason for this movie of, like, I understand if people don't like it. Like, if this style is not your jam, if this is it's 90 gonna, minutes yeah. of, of that, of this jam. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, this is a baby pool full of the thing that yeah. either you like it's or don't, sh- but it, it is it, all it's that. It's a shame to me that you don't like it, but I understand that, yeah. like, it's not for everybody. Also, he bought Audrey for, like, under $5 a dollar ninety price. But the inflation, I'm saying oh. right now, it's it's still only about five bucks. I thought that's a pretty good bargain. Oh yeah, business. But booms. see, now, so this is this is the question I have to ask. In the original play version, is Audrey an alien? Audrey two. Audrey two. So it's never explicitly stated. Uh, it's okay. just sort of like because, appears. Because I knew that the the song "Big Green Mother" from mm-hmm. Outer Space is from the movie. It made me think that perhaps. If the seller did sell the the plant to uh, Rick Moranis's character and say, "Oh, it's a lucky plant; it will make your dreams come true." No, if it's, you, it's not. So Dadu okay. is exactly the same. There's okay. just no. Okay. The, obviously, in the stage, you know, there's the restrictions. You don't see Seymour walking down the street and all that. Okay. And I don't. I don't have the script. It does. It it does lyrically feel like a song you would write for when you can't show the thing. Yeah. You have to tell, don't show to, in yeah. this instance, and so you have a to lot make of tell, it fun. don't show. Um, yeah. I, I I wish I had my script. It's it's at our parents' house in my like theater trunk of all my old high school scripts and costumes and shit. So I don't remember the exact lyrics, but I'm pretty sure they're the same. It might even mention the total. Oh, you know, it still does the total eclipse of the sun. That has to be in there because that moment is like that. That part of the song is so the, central. I feel yeah. So da, that da, is da, still da, there. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it, I was curious if that was the more Faustian thing. Like the bargain is. is yeah. More no. It, it's still. That. It's. It is not implied that the Chinese man is in any way connected to okay. the devil. Uh, so so this sets off a big buying spree. Yeah. People are coming in hand buying every flower in the shop, every scrap of every greenery. I I honestly. I kind of wish that all these, like, because it's just one-offs of, like, people opening the door being like, the plan in the window, where did you get it? And, like, yeah, quick yeah. lines like that. And I was like, where's, like, Catherine O'Hara? Like, where's <laughs> your, where's your, like, funny, like, because they get, they got John Candy, they got um, Patrick Dooley, they got Jim Belushi to replace Patrick Dooley later. Like, yeah. You get Bill Although, Murray. Jim Belushi's not in this one, No, is he? Jim Belushi okay. replaced Patrick Dooley for the reshoots because Patrick Dooley the, couldn't come oh, back. okay. Okay. So, like, I'm like, we couldn't get a couple, like, other, like, comedians that we love to do, like, a, a, a wacky thing. Or other SCTV folks. Yeah. Because that bit, Catherine I mean, Hara I was, was. going to say this. Wasn't she? Yes. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've talked about her a couple times in that context. But I was thinking about that later, the, the bit where it's Rick Moranis and John Candy feels like a sketch from the show. Mm-hmm. So, business booms. Mushnik is like, I'm going to take you to dinner. Audrey can't because she has a date. Oh, she also had a black eye. We should mention that that's an important yes, plot point. Yes, and It is an important plot point. She has. She had a black eye this morning. And Mr. Mushnik right away is like, your boyfriend's hitting you. You need to dump it. Like, that's what I, like, Audrey's abuse isn't really played for laughs. Like, right. all the characters are aware of it and trying to help her, but she... Yeah, even the Greek chorus is trying to help her. But she doesn't believe she deserves better, which, like, is not uncommon for victims of abuse. To be like, right, this is what right. I, this is this is the best I can do. 
Yeah, it's the only thing in the whole show that's not heightened. Exactly, which I appreciate. Yeah, you you don't want it to be funny. No, and I like guess it's not spousal abuse, but domestic abuse. Like you don't want to do funny domestic abuse. That's not good. No, and I think especially in some, in, if it's done like it's it is a central theme that she is in an abusive relationship, and like right, it's interesting that the dentist is only funny when he's alone or just with Rick Moranis. Yes, he's never. He's never jokey. He's never. He doesn't get jokes when he's with Audrey, right? Which I right. think he's is a, a clever way to write it in a way that doesn't, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I I hadn't recognized that when watching, but you do make a good point that he is a different character depending on who he's with, which also is frankly the way Abuse, most abusers are described. Yeah, abusers. We get uh, so Mushnik was supposed to take uh, Rick Moranis out for dinner, but he's like, no, no, the plant's sick. You stay home and deal with that. You fix it. I gotta go. Audrey is not Mushnik's daughter, right? No, none of them are his children. Okay, okay. But he views them that way. Yeah, no, it's definitely, fo- like, we explicitly know that that uh, Rick was sort of adopted by this guy. Uh, because they cut I, the I song. It's not sort of adopted. Okay. But he is, like, actually adopted by this no, guy. No, I mean, not? he was taken, he was quote-unquote taken out of the, the Skid Row home for boys. But yeah, I don't know, I don't know that how that... Because <laughs> that means yeah, not yeah. a musical. I don't think. Okay. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, I just wanted to clarify that because I didn't want to say it incorrectly. No, they are we, just, we, it's just a, f- a father figure. We cut to Rick in the basement and he's trying to fix Audrey too. He sings Grow For Me, which is a lovely little song that every boy with this vocal range has had in his book at one point. Like, it's just a, a classic boy audition song. And it's like, okay, we can, we can <laughs> put that one out to pasture for a bit. <laughs> we'll pick it back up in 10 years. And this is where we get the reveal that Audrey too eats blood. And they cut a line that I really love from the stage show where he cuts his finger on a rose and Audrey 2 starts making like, he starts sucking his finger and Audrey 2 makes the same noise and like opens her mouth for it. And in the stage show, he says, well, I guess a few drops couldn't hurt long as you don't make a habit out of it or anything, which like just is funny, but also to me starts to like plant the seeds of like, he's willing, he's willing to do all this. He's making active choices. Oh, I don't get that read at all. That's interesting. That's what I mean. It's like, I guess I can do this, but it don't make, don't let it happen again. Like if you're letting it slide, you're, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can I see, see the stop, the top of the slope. Right, right, right. I love the little puppet. Like there's, there's basically small Audrey, medium Audrey, and giant Audrey. There's no, there's small, medium, large, and extra large. So the small okay. is in the coffee can. The medium right. is the one he's holding in the um, in the radio show, and the one that he's like feeding in the basement later during you never know or okay some fun now. Then large is I'm in the I'm singing feed me get it, and then extra large. Oh, is the it final. does get bigger between the okay. You're right. I was sort of conflating those last two stages, but I the the little one in the can does they, they do it in a stop motiony way. I'm assuming where it sort of flexes its arms so and then apparently. Pops out of the can. It it moved towards the camera in a way that mm. was concealed by the coffee can. I don't know uh-huh. that I. The, unfortunately, the behind the scenes aren't very. There's like a 30 minute thing on YouTube for behind the scenes and a blooper reel. I'm like, I need more. <laughs> that doesn't fully. But it's a cool. It's a really cool effect. Is the plant eats the blood and then sort of does like a Mario. Whoop, 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 and it waits till he leaves and then like it like grunts and and pops its way out. I think what I, I can't remember if they offered John Candy, Mr. Mushnick, 
and he said, "How's do you have anything smaller than that?" Yeah. Well, and that's great. This this is exactly the amount of John Kennedy energy this movie needs. I I think if it I don't wasn't think John this, Candy is Mushnick is good. No, 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 no. I think if it wasn't so like because this is manic John Candy. This isn't like Uncle Buck John Candy. Right, right. Which like, well, this is Uncle Buck with the drill. Yeah, but Uncle Buck <laughs> with the drill is not the whole Uncle Buck. He's like, no, I know, I know. It's a it's, yeah, yeah. I wasn't arguing. Um, and so I think that's why I'm like, oh, this is too. This is just a hair too much John Candy because he's playing a shock jockey or morning zoo yeah, or whatever like a morning zoo yeah morning zoo guy i w- what i really love about this sequence here is it probably cost 10 to twenty five thousand dollars to do all of the work on like the guy has this homemade flying, flying machine <laughs> it looks like it's not it's, but it's like the, a it's, weird version of the beetlejuice waiting room it absolutely is that yes i have that same note here actually but this guy's thing in particular there's no joke about it the camera doesn't even linger on it. And you kind of don't get that it's a flying machine until the final angle of it. When, when uh, Rick Moranis gets up and the camera turns and you can kind of see the wings more, more thought out. And it's just, I love the type of thing that represents an artist getting to be like, no, this is important because it fills in the world in the right way. And some suit didn't come in and be like, Hey, nobody's going to get it unless you point at it. Like, no, which we have to hold people's Frank hands. Oz. Like Frank Oz is the yes, kind of guy yeah. who's like, yeah, we're just going to have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's like, you do need to hold the audience's hands. You don't necessarily need to put them in a baby buggy and push them around. Yeah, You don't there's need to a, point there's at the animals difference. in the zoo. You can hold their hand right. and walk them through the zoo. Yes, exactly. And tell them salient information about, say, the primates or what have you. Yes. But I just that like all three of these people are very good casting, costuming, prop work. But the guy in particular in this insane contraption who's just quietly sitting waiting for his turn. I just I crack me up and it's he doesn't do anything funny. He just is in the Then there's the lady with the locked box. It's like chained and locked like Juman like the end of Jumanji. (laughs) Yes, yes, it's crazy. I almost wish the box rattled. Yeah, like, I almost wish she was like she gave a smile and the box did a like a, a jiggle wiggle. Yeah, this is the first time I think I've ever consciously noted that Rick Moranis is the puppeteer of Audrey in this scene. Only for this moment, and when you rent, when you do a rental package, which if you're a community theater doing Little Shop of Horrors, just rent it. Yeah, do a, a a a soup bowl dinner or whatever the hell. Rent the puppets because yeah, it's up there with like Milky White, the cow in Into the Woods. Always is terrible looking. Just rent the puppets. That's what we yeah. did as a high school. Yeah. You get like a baby. You get one for him to hold, and then the the you get four sizes. And for this one, you get it's Audrey two in a little pot with a fake hand on it, and it's attached yeah. to a red jacket. So. Seymour always wears a red jacket in the scene with his <laughs> puppet because they're all the same rental package. That's funny. Um, but I, I didn't, I, it was like, oh, that's a fake hand. Oh, he's doing the puppet. Cause the puppet starts looking at this lady's butt and it's about to chomp it. And then Rick kind of grabs it and is wrestling with it. Mm-hmm. But I love a good, like <laughs> this gimmick just works for me, even though I know what it is. I'd still find delightful. There's a thing they do in the universal theme parks with the, the Raptors, uh, no, it's actually, I think, a little Triceratops that they hold. Oh, they do both, actually. Oh, okay. 
but it's it's the same gimmick of a fake arm holding a thing and disney's used it too but it's just it's a it's like i know exactly what it is that i'm still delighted dream i think Dreamfinder used to do it with a figment yes yes yeah absolutely absolutely but if like i as a full-grown 34 about to be 34 year old man would like happily go <laughs> pet pet the little triceratops and mm-hmm. knowing that it is a you know adult person with a puppet like i i still would be delighted by oh, it. oh yeah uh, so in the mus- in the musical, this is a song. It's a Mushnik song, actually. But they cut all of Mushnik's music. I don't know if Vincent Gardenia can't sing or what. Yeah, I don't know. They cut all of his music. Um, so wait, the song, the the DJ part is Mushnik? No, so it's Mushnik. It's uh, Seymour and the radio host are off stage, and, and oh, Mushnik is listening to the radio. He's with, listening to the radio with Got it. Crystal Ronette and Chiffon, and then he sings a song about like, hey. You never know. Business could turn around. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they do fade into what you're describing. Yes. Audrey comes in. He's listened to it on the radio. Yeah. But yeah, I did, this is this is a very fun little bit of John Candy. He's like doing. He's got two microphones and is like doing gun sound effects as if it's going around the <laughs> you got room. Got the the crank. The like <laughs> crank. It's yeah, yeah. Little toy piano. It's, it's 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 the definition of the word zany, but it's very enjoyable <laughs> yes. to me. So we're in the plant shop with uh audrey one and mr mushnick and audrey has again been beaten by this schmuck and she's turned her fishnets from the first scene into a sling yeah this is pretty dark actually but like to me like yeah she has nothing so she has no to do that. i'm not like, i'm not saying it's bad i'm just saying it's dark like i i there's i think there's a reason gay people and queer people identify with audrey so much because it's like a lot of them especially in the 80s it was like yeah no we have nothing we have no legacy all we want is that like picturesque future we read about in better homes and gardens but like right. how the hell's that gonna happen which of course leads into somewhere that's green mm-hmm. i will say i will say if you're about to say you don't 12- like this song I, well i don't but the 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 part that I specifically don't like, and it's like, I always try to say something nice about the movies that we don't like. I'm going to say something mean about this movie. I really strongly dislike the joke of we're doing something set in the past and we're going to comment on something like the 12 inch TV screen is the perfect example of it. Like, I love oh, that joke. Yeah, it's like my least favorite. That's my least favorite brand of joke. <laughs> Of like, oh, isn't it funny? They thought the thing that we have now would be crazy well, back I think then. It's mo- I think that's more to set the world you're in. I, it's fine. I'm just, I just, it's my least favorite kind of joke. Because I think it's, there's not a lot in the original production that said, like, there's no, it doesn't, like, they never say what year it is. The movie kind of does because they say, they talk about President Kennedy. But in the stage musical, all it says is on the 23rd day of the month of September of an early year of a decade not too long before our own. So, like, mm-hmm. it could be whenever. Like, if right. you did a production of Little Shop now, you could make it about the 80s. I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't do that. But I think that's one of the few I think lines. you could make a fun version of this that was in the 80s. I think so. I just I would be I would I would need to, like, sit down and, like, I have a, have a production meeting of one of, like, what would this look like? I will say what surprises me most about this is like there's two ways that cartoons do children and this this goes with the each I love the parent, two kids. It's so each perfect. parent each parent has a carbon copy mini me, which uh-huh. is funny. But what I like more is when it's like we cross them and so it'd be like the, the Audrey the hair blonde. with the glasses. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And like Rick hair but long and curly. Uh-huh. I could I think that could be fun. But yeah, it's 
Somewhere That's Green is this lovely little moment. I also like, she's reading Better Homes and Gardens, September 1959. And I just, I want this copy. I, I don't know where to find it. It's not available I mean, right eBay. now. No, I checked eBay. I have well, to, like, you can set up an alert. I'm going to have to set up an alert because it was available on Etsy at one point and it's gone now. I want that. But it's this, it's this lovely little slice of, you know, what she pictures as like a perfect life. And it's, you know, very Levittown, yeah, very 50s Tupperware party. And I think that's another thing where like in the stage show, this is just Audrey singing t- to the ur- the urchins, the doo-wop girls. Yeah, yeah. Like, hey, this is what I dream about. And in, in a stage show, you kind of get to, or in a movie, you get to feature the actress still and then show her and then have her sing and all that. But like, yeah, yeah. I, sometimes it's fun to like watch high school productions and be like, oh, some high schools do things weird. Because my high school was everyone got cast in the musical but if like you were ensemble they weren't going to shove you in places you didn't belong like you were in the yeah you were in the background you were you know whatever i saw a production of a local a nearby high school to me where they had uh five dream audrey's that came out and did dances during certain numbers and then they had four dream seymours that danced with them and so She's singing somewhere. Dance together or yes. just danced? Both. Okay. So okay. like she's singing somewhere that's green and then they have Dream Audrey with an iron and then Dream Audrey with a frying pan and all this shit. And I'm like, you're crapping it up. I uh, I didn't see this, obviously. I can see the world in which that works. I don't know that it would be necessarily doable on a high school budget, but I can see the world in which what, that, what you're I describing I think a world works. in which you have one person, like... Audrey singing, and then there's a, a fake Audrey, whatever. Well, there's I guess in my of version them, of it, all in my version around. of it, in my version of it, you would just hit them one at a time with spots. Oh no, 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 no! They are all yeah. on stage at once. Uh, and I was just like, oh, what are we doing? So this is the second uh, feed me montage. Yeah, and so this is a song that they. It was a song. Uh, this was part of you never know. Got reworked into become this song, uh, which is called some fun now which is the three do-up girls on the roof. Uh-huh. I don't love this version. I think I would rather the original, but okay. But I guess I've never heard it. So. It was a Mushnik song. So they were like, we got to do something with it. Yeah. You must be right with him not being a very good singer. It's the only thing, like the only reason that they would cut everything. I mean, I guess Mushnik and son isn't plot relevant, Yeah, but it's a fun number. Mushnik and son is, is the like, we're giving the old guy a song so that the leads can take a break. Song, no, because it? Seymour's in it. Okay. So like, it's not even that. It's not even, hey, I'm an old Broadway legend. It was just like, <laughs> this is the song where, where Mushnik says, I want to adopt you. He, basically, Mushnik hears Seymour say like, yeah, I'll think about leaving with the plant offhand to Oren, the dentist, just to get him out of the shop. And it's like, oh shit, if he leaves, I'm broke. I have to do something. I know. I'll adopt him. <laughs> Did you notice the the neon sign in this scene? Uh, I don't have a note about it, but it's possible when you say the thing, I will say, yes, I did see that. So it's, they're on a rooftop, the three girls, and there's a sign mm-hmm. that says, choose gum, C-H-O-O-Z, and the last O-Z blinks for Oz. Oh, oh, that's cool. That's cool. I was like, I'm not getting this. Chogun? Frank What's Chogun? <laughs> no, no, I get it now. I just, I was, I was, I was trying to parse the, the other, I think if I saw it, I would get yeah. it, but I was trying to, to go the other way. So the strap is super successful. There's an emergency funeral bouquet that's needed, and it is the saddest funeral bouquet. 
Yeah. It's five lilies uh, with some glitter. <laughs> yeah. And this is a good the good little line where uh Rick Moranis intimates that he intimates that he'd like to take her out and and Audrey is like yeah, I mean I'm in a relationship but I can't and he's like, "Oh, but you'd be seen with me somewhere in public like a department store?" <laughs> Well, because she says he's like, I think you suffer from low self-image. Get yourself some new clothes. Yeah. It just reminded me of, um, I think one of the best reboot things, and I know this is going to sound buck wild, is uh, those Brady Bunch movies, which I, I mean, recently yeah, rewatched sure. the trailers for. I don't know a George Glass that goes to our school. <laughs> but the idea of like, they just took those characters and made it a fish out of water movie instead of trying to do something else really worked for me. But I mm-hmm. really, the only thing I really remember from that movie is, uh, sure jam <laughs> kids. No, is kids put on your Sunday best. We're going to Sears. And then there's like an extended montage of them just like having a day at Sears that looks so <laughs> fun that like they're picking up stuff. They're looking in the electronics section. They're putting a record on. It's or been whatever. a minute since I've watched that movie. I haven't watched it since I was a kid, but I I, I remember them as, as being pretty funny. And I, the type of funny that they are, I'm imagining, is like more likely to hold up. But all I could think of with the department store was kids were going to Sears. <laughs> And this is where we're finally introduced to Audrey's boyfriend, the dentist. In just a delightful wig. He uh-huh. looks like he looks like Tony Del Vecchio from Backyard Baseball. <laughs> he does look like he's in Backyard <laughs> Baseball. Yeah, he's he's exactly the tall one, right? what he looks like. No, uh, Pete was the real tall one. Tony was tall-ish, but he had the, 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 the hair the and the jacket. Yeah, uh-huh. And a lollipop instead of a cigarette. I remember that, yeah. Steve Martin just apparently did it in six weeks. Did, did yeah, this gives it a great performance. Yeah, no, he, there's there, he he gives it all he's got, and it's very funny and it's ridiculous, but in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the giant mouth puppet they made. They didn't, yeah, did not need that. But no, right, like one second they used this shot. You would think they would have done it in a way where they they can put different teeth in and use it several times. Yeah, but the Hens- nope. Not with Henson Studios. They're like, no, we we thought it'd be fun to do it for, you know, three seconds in this song. So we built a giant puppet. Did you clock that his nurse is Professor Sprout from I the did. Harry Potter movies? Uh-huh. I will say, I think if you were to be like casting this, like Steve Martin's got this job offered to him and it's like lunatic dentist, but funny that on and paper also, and also a, an abuser. Well, yes, yes, yes. But taking that part away, the serious part, but just being like lunatic dentist, but funny seems like such a fertile playground for somebody like him. That has it's a exactly lot of physical right. comedy. Yeah, yeah. Well, apparently another person they wanted this people. I don't think it was a studio. Someone producers maybe wanted Rodney Dangerfield really badly to be in this movie. They wanted Rodney to do the plant voice. Which after no, me. don't do that. Make Rodney <laughs> Mushnick. I think Rodney Dangerfield's only spot that I would put him in this movie would be the Bill Murray role. No, I think because I think he 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 wouldn't he wouldn't be into it. He would be afraid. Uh, well, no, that's the whole point. That character is from the original original movie. Yeah, I know. It's Jack Nicholson, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But but I'm just saying the the Bill Murray character, which I don't think we're quite there yet. Not yet. But, is a perfect example of a character that is completely unnecessary to the movie, but when you do it right, is something that makes your movie better. Mm-hmm. And they did so it. Right. It's like, 
we constantly talk about cutting things down, cutting things down, cutting things down. And this is an example of the opposite working. This movie is 93 minutes. Like it is. Oh, I know, but I'm saying like, I just meant in, like for the audience, like it's a 94 minute movie. It's breezy. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm just saying it's, it's a perfect example of something that doesn't need to be in the movie whatsoever and yet works perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, the idea that they want, they thought they listened to this music and they were like, yeah, Rodney Dangerfield makes sense. Like, no, don't do that, baby. They thought the, and I just forgot his name, but the, the singer from the four tops who does, thank you, who does Audrey's two's voice. They thought it was too scary. Yeah. He's the devil. Well, it's, I, I like it. I think it's appropriate level scary, but they were like, it's too scary. He should, the plant should be funny. But Rodney Dangerfield doesn't work whatsoever as the no, devil. No, because you, you need and to I be like a Rodney. little scary. Like, right. there's no scary in Rodney's voice. I also really love, we, we, we are past this now, but the motorcycle stuff is delightful. Like, the the this motorcycle is fake and we don't care that you yeah. know that it's fake. Again, is, is this very is the world, puppets. everyone. Yeah, but it it like flying into the office is is a hoot. Is, no, is in really the alleyway, good. it literally just oh yeah, stops. it just it falls yeah. and just stops in place. It doesn't. There's no weight to it, to it at right. all. And then an, another time, he like gets off it and it rolls a little forward. And he points at it and it stops like it's a horse. Like yeah. it's it's very good. Like this is the kind of motorcycle the Fonzie drives. Yes, exactly. Um, another great transition where he tells someone to spit at the end of his song, and they do, and as they spit, we cut to Seymour throwing plant water. I believe that's called a spit wipe. <laughs> a spit wipe, you're right. <laughs> I think that's what that would be called. And this is where we really see Steve Martin be kind of scary. Like, when, yeah, he's, he, he, when he turns on Audrey, it is genuinely a little frightening. Oh, yeah. No, he he knows what he's doing here, and it plays it plays it really perfectly. So they leave. And we get she sits side saddle on the back of a motorcycle, which have feels... you seen her skirt? She has to. I, I know. But the idea of sitting side saddle on a motorcycle, I cannot think of anything scarier. Eh, maybe. So we get we finally get the plant singing. And good Lord, I know I said it at the top, but this puppet work is just immaculate. And that's what. Yeah, pieces... I read it. I I read an interview with the guy who was involved in creating it and stuff. And he talked about how like the lips aren't perfect. And I'm like, yeah, but they're like fine. Like it's not noticeably off or, or misaligned. They're, or they're close enough that you, you kind of forgive it. Mm-hmm. But like, so for these scenes where it's the giant plant singing, they couldn't film it at full speed. Oh, that makes sense. So, they had to get playback of Rick Moranis, the plant, and Audrey, because she interacts with the plant later, and slow it down to half speed. And so Rick Moranis is acting in slow motion, lip syncing at half speed to a plant that is also lip syncing at half speed. So they could speed it That's up. That's wild. Yes. That's really wild. And the That's fin- cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. The final puppet took 60 puppeteers. Yeah, the, the list, I was like, oh, I should make sure we shout out this person. And then I saw the list and I was like, nope, nope. People should go people. read it on the Wikipedia. When you, so I, I encourage you, everyone, to look up the, there's a YouTube video of the making of, it's like 30 minutes. Um, you can scroll through it because some of it is like clips from the movie. <laughs> there's a great shot where they're like talking about all the people doing the puppeteer work for it. And they just do like seven quick cuts of like a bank of eight people with like, 
They look like they're doing train pulleys of like train uh-huh. levers back and forth. And then there's one dude, like three dudes who each double fisting a bar and they're just like pulling them down, staring dead eyed into space. It so is so much work. So crazy to look at. But yeah, yeah. Like all the puppet, all the big puppet work talking scenes had to be done at a slower speed and then sped up. And you see why this stuff went out of favor in in favor of a computer because it's like you'd have five dudes do it on a computer yeah and then in three years it looks like butt i i am not advocating i know that but that's that you'd even insinuate but i'm saying you can see how it people are like it just seems way easier to do this the other way and i I just think nine times out of ten it doesn't work like it's just not as good to blend them like in for jurassic park right right and like they're they're remaking this movie with Chris Evans as allegedly. the doctor, allegedly, which I'm, which fine. I think Chris, that's great. I think that's a, that's he. I think he can do that. I really Spot do. Spot on. Yeah, this comedic chops. Scarlett Johansson as Audrey, and I'm like, I guess. And yeah. then Taron, what's his face from Rocket Man? Egerton. I'm like, he's. Yeah. I think I think he's too pretty. Well, here's the thing: there are no ugly actors anymore. The ugliest mainstream actor is Adam Driver. Well, I don't think I don't think Seymour is because I don't think Rick Moranis is ugly. Rick Moranis is like she's all that cute. He's cute with okay. glasses on. That is a fair point. Yes. But like Taron Egerton is like a model. Like I, I just need like hashtag no more hot Seymours. <laughs> but they're, you know, they're just going to do it as CGI puppet, a uh, CGI. Oh plant, yeah. It's going to suck. It's going to be gonna garbage. Suck, It'll look amazing for one year. And then, it won't. It won't even look amazing for one year because they won't spend enough money to do it correctly. It will not look amazing. I think amazing they will based year. on, because this movie, they was made so much money in like they're remaking because it made so much money. So they know they're going to get a return on investment on this one. I would be shocked if you think the plant looks good on first blush. I think, I think you're going to get one, maybe a year of like, Oh, that plant's actually pretty good looking. And then you're gonna be like, Oh, it's going to be like avatar where you're like, Oh, wolf. Yeah. It's do, do puppets. Just fucking do puppets. Yeah. Uh, so you got Feed Me Seymour, which is the the, the big song of the week. Feed Actually, this it. is where this is where I, I I made my note here, and I was gonna cause a controversy with you. It's like you gave me a lot of shit when I was telling you my girlfriend really likes Joseph and Tex- Te- Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, which is obviously extremely religious. Neither of us is, uh, and and I was like, I surprisingly really dug it, and you were like, really, and I was like, yeah, well, all the music is like different, like every song is different, and that. They use the term jukebox musical to mean a completely different thing, but uh, it, to me, it, Joseph it feels is jukeboxy. Yeah, but like ju- jukebox musical typically means all the songs are real like, songs, yeah. not written. Yeah, but th- what I find entertaining about that is like every song is a completely different style, so that if you don't like one, the next one is it's like well, you only have to listen to it for this one. Versus where many musicals is like we have a style, and all of the songs kind of fit as a piece together, and it's like. That's great if you like it, but if you don't like song one, you're like, holy shit, I'm in for a long day. Almost every song in this musical is different. They're all sort of 60s feeling, but they all have a very different vibe, I feel, in terms of musicality. Yeah, but they're all steeped in that Ashman Menkenism. Like maybe, but I this, think the music musically, they're like there's a rock song, there's a duop song, there's a ballady number. Like I feel like this is more akin to the Joseph musical style than I, than that. I wouldn't because I I, I think there's a an Ashman Menken quality to it to like 
to so- to the all the songs like they're maybe... I'm not talking about the lyrics though. I'm talking no, about I know music. Well, okay. Lincoln did the music. Yeah. And I think that there's they all kind of have a 60s steep they all have the like the magic quality of a Mencken music of Mencken music. Yeah, I mean the music is very good. I, I I don't disagree with you. I just was like, huh, these are all for pretty different styles. I wonder I, I wonder where that fits in. I wouldn't think that. Um, but I think this is where the musical is a little insidious because basically the plant's like, hey, I need blood. Like you've been feeding me, but I need some, I need more. And Seymour's yeah. like, how am I supposed am I just supposed to kill people? And he's like, well, I think you know someone who deserves to get killed and fed to a plant and then you see the dentist be an abuser and as the audience you're like oh yeah yeah he i think he did he yeah that's he deserves that they're planting the seeds that you're okay with it already yeah yeah i also the the idea that has set off this fight is that audrey fell off the motorcycle Uh and she doesn't appear to be in any way worse for wear of that which also goes back to the motorcycle being so nonsensical well he uh uh, so steve martin kicks open her doors he broke yeah he cut his hand the first take oh no he kicked the doors and they have the little like amber glass window and so when he kicked it, they bounced and came back and he threw up his hands to like push the door again, but he hit the glass and they both shattered. Oh man, that's crazy. Rick Moranis also gets to the murder way quicker than I think I would. I mean, it's a musical. They gotta, yeah, they gotta, yeah, they gotta, they gotta keep the pace. <laughs> but, move it along, but yes. But that's, yeah, they, they, they're, it's real quick of like, oh, hey audience, I bet you just agreed. And like, I'm not saying that, I think Rick, uh, Steve Martin's character should live. I think he's a shithead. But, like, the point is to make the audience go, yeah, no, he probably, I think he deserves to die. He can be fed to the plant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is our unhinged maniac Bill Murray business. He's mm-hmm. a sadist, and he really likes the what dentist year was hurting Ghost- him. Was Ghostbusters 87 or 84? Oh, okay. So that was before this. Yeah, I think this is probably just a favor. Steve Martin was a big SNL name. For some reason, I thought... They said Slimer was the ghost of John Candy. No, uh, it was uh, Belushi, John Belushi. Oh, okay. Never mind. John Candy didn't die until the 90s. You're right. But he, he has his own bib that he brought, and he's like, he bring, yeah, later he brings he's his trying own to bib. It's all these tool. little things that aren't, yeah, yeah. That aren't like, again, this, you'd think a studio would be like, you gotta point it out. Uh, but I will say, no offense intended, but uh, Bill definitely needed some braces for those bottom chompers. <laughs> my man people get people get top veneers only all the time you don't see the bottom teeth a lot my buddy my man needed some help with the bottom row it's your professionalism that i respect there's the the apron that uh steve martin is wearing here is a very like snme shiny Mm -hmm. leather thing it's like all plays into what they're doing here yeah yeah it honestly looks like a latex bib so uh he kicks him out because he's into it and yeah, if he's it's only it, fun if you don't like it. Exactly. Yeah. And he brings... Seymour's C- brought a gun and is going to kill the dentist. And there's a song in the musical called Now, parentheses, it's just the gas. And they were like, we're just going to turn that into a scene, basically. Yeah. Um, we meant, we didn't say it earlier, but Oren Scrivello DDS is a, is addicted to nitrous oxide, giggle gas. I, I haven't been to the dentist in forever. Is that... A th- I assume that's a thing still, right? Uh, Yeah, Laughing I think gas? it's... I think it's like the lightest form of sedative. So like you go, it's, like, it's you more go of a relaxant and come out. than a sedative, right? 
Well, I think you just come out of it very quickly, which is the point of like versus like dental surgery where they need to actually put you out out. Yeah. Oh, okay. I've never had gas for any dental procedure. What, like if I what dental procedure have you filled. had? I've had cavities filled, and they okay. They, well, come they to me when you had to have six adult teeth pulled. I mean, I had I had my wisdom teeth removed. So did I, and then six adult teeth pulled. Okay, I'm I'm not trying to say I'm like <laughs> Mister Dental. I'm just saying I've never had the gas. I've only ever had Novocaine. So he puts on. I his- think the gas preceded Novocaine generally. I think now that we have Novocaine, well, I thought it was. Probably use I, I remember them doing both. It was the gas to relax you and the Novocaine to numb you. Okay. So he puts on his special helmet so that he gets to like really pump that gas and then he breaks it and he can't get it off. And in the musical, Seymour has a line, like a straight up line where he's like, well, basically it comes down to, well, technically I didn't kill him, so I could just not do anything and he'll die on his own. Yeah. And then that's the same thing. Yes. I I think that, that, that they morally clear Seymour here because it's like, yes, you were going to kill him, but then he killed himself and that's not your fault. Mm-hmm. But then he does chop him up and feed him to a plant. Well, yeah. So yeah, he, he dies. and <laughs> Him dragging the body down the stairs in this bag where it's like... Thunk, it's a thunk, spirit thunk, Halloween like prop. Yes. You'd buy it for $50. It's, you know, bloody body bag. Yeah, yeah. And then they go very, very Norman Bates psycho in both the music cue and the shadow on the wall of him using the axe to chop him up, which I thought was really cool. And then it turns poppy, which I don't love. Yeah, yeah. Because in, in, in the stage musical, the act, this is the act one finale, and it's creepy because the Greek chorus comes out and sings a like minor key version of Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, that would that would be a more appropriate thing here. I feel, and it's and Audrey too is lit, we did it lit in red, and Audrey too just is like moaning like feed me as Seymour's like throwing yeah, yeah. body parts in, and they're like changalang, and it's like I love that. I think that has more weight to it, especially considering Ashman and Oz really wanted they were champions for the original ending. David Geffen was like, I don't think we can do that, guys, and they were like, No, we're going to. So it's interesting that like they would le- keep it lighter and like kind of absolve Seymour throughout the way. Um, but yeah, Mushnick yeah. sees uh, this happen. Right, right. He catches him. And he doesn't confront him here. He nope. ends up confronting him later. Yeah. yeah. This is suddenly Seymour. Yeah. He's, uh, Seymour wakes up the next day and hears the police talking to Audrey. And he goes to talk to her. And they go to an abandoned lot, this giant lot. <laughs> yeah, that it just was, happens to be here. They couldn't. Air, they couldn't heat it because it was so big. They were like, it's not oh, worth man. it to heat. Sorry. Yeah. You all have to suck on ice cubes before each take so that you don't have breath. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. Which I've heard me, of people doing the opposite more, of that. That feels more Roger Corman than like yeah, yeah, yeah. Frank Oz, well, David a, Geffen. I feel like you, if you're going to remake a Roger Corman movie, which we didn't touch on, but this is a remake of a Roger Corman. They turned a Roger Corman movie into the musical to start with. A Roger Corman uh, yeah. movie that was filmed in two days on sets that were left over as a dare, basically. <laughs> <laughs> that feels very Corman. He filmed Bucket of Blood in five days, and then he was the studio like left the sets up, and he was like, how much longer are you going to leave those up? And they were like... I don't know, we'll probably take him down soon. He was like, can I, ha- can I uh, have I think them? it was a weekend. No, so what happened was they were like, how long do you want them for? And he said, I, I just need them for two days of shooting. And he was like, they were like, are you serious? 
So he contracted the actors for a week and filmed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then filmed Thursday, Friday. And then that was the movie. <laughs> and he wanted that's Dick- why jackelson's in it right jackelson jackelson jesus jack nicholson has a bigger role in the other production and is just kind of in that one or no no so jack nicholson's character is the same as bill murray he's just there and oh, is okay. like into it um but he wanted dick miller friend of the pod to be seymour and he was like i literally just played Se- that that same character in bucket of blood i'm not i'm not doing that so yeah. instead he plays the first customer who eats flowers <laughs> But Mrs. Futterman plays Audrey. I've never seen the Corman one. I, I have say. it. It's. I mean, it's. It's a little too long. It's, it. It feels like yeah. a movie that was shot in two days and is being yeah, stretched yeah. out. Yeah. But th- you left that out. That it was movie to musical to movie musical. No, that's what I Back said. to Broadway. Oh, I guess back to Broadway. You're right. That's the only. It's the only one that's done that. Yes, certainly. I love Suddenly Seymour. It is a beautiful love song and it it you hear it and you can hear where they're going to go with disney yeah for sure absolutely that is another dna song and i i I did use an example before of the kind of song where i'm like i'm gonna get a drink it's just it's just slow for my personal taste is all it's fine i don't think it's bad i just it's slow i love a love song a good love song so mushnik confronts seymour and then turns it into like, a, okay, well, I know you did this, but if you leave the plant for me, then I just maybe won't say anything about it. So Mushnik, I get as the sort of Faustian thing of like, which he's, is he's, not how it's supposed to go. That's not how it goes in the stage show. I see. So this song is called Supper Time, where Mushnik confronts him and the plant's like, I think it's supper time. And so the, in the stage show, Seymour directly is like directly responsible for killing Mr. Mushnick. Oh, okay. He says, hey, before we leave, shouldn't you get the day's receipts? And Mushnick's like, well, you put them in the safe, didn't you? And he's like, I forgot the combination. And he's like, well, where did you put them? He goes, I put them in the plant. Knock three times and it'll open up and you can reach inside and get them. Ah, uh, okay. So the stage... I do remember, I remember that as being how you died. Yeah, that was my favorite. I... I one of the f- top 10 things I've ever done as an actor. And it was in hi- a freshman of high school. Um, getting to get eaten by the plant was like so fun. Because you yeah, basically had to like slide out the back. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it was a hoot. I'm, that would be a delight, I'm sure. For a while, it was dad's screensaver. Or no, no it really? was his That's background. Funny. It was his background on his computer. Nice. Um, so yeah, the, the stage show is way more direct that Seymour does it. Like the, Seymour makes the choice to do it. And in the musical... Sure, sure. In the movie, he's kind of like, uh, I he, he could have said more. He could have done more, but he didn't. And then the, the Greek chorus comes in so creepy. And it's great because like, yeah, this is a story about selling your soul to the devil. It, it should feel creepy. Yeah, yeah. But that that's the thing is the movie version doesn't make that very explicit. Yeah, the movie isn't the movie version isn't as Faustian as it should be. Yeah. Um. Then we get the meek shall inherit. But they cut all of it. Like, I love this song because, again, it's Seymour making the choice. It's a right. They cut the full, like, three and a half minute song to a 45 second, like, hit clips version. Yeah, yeah. They filmed it. That's the thing. They filmed the whole dream sequence of Seymour. A lot of times the songs in the movie movie musical end up getting cut for pacing because, like, what, what, I'll, a song that you needed on the Broadway stage in order for you to do X, Y, Z backstage, you just don't necessarily need for the plot of the show. But that's the thing. This, this song isn't, isn't that 
it's it's Seymour's soliloquy in the middle of Meek Shall Inherit where he says he he says like you know what if I do this I'm gonna have to keep killing I can't do this I'm gonna have to destroy the plant and then he goes yeah. up there and he goes but what about Audrey if I don't have the plant she might not love me anymore and like mm. we as the audience know that she loves him for who he is sure. but like I think that's important to show like oh that's why it's all like it yeah. all comes back down to that and they cut it no i get that it's I, it's on, I get it's on youtube saying. that whole little sequence it's a weird it's weird like they should have shot it differently but it's there yeah that also could have been the reason why it was cut it yeah it doesn't look great uh so and we, we get, get the biggest plant yet yes but uh rick and audrey he's like let's get married and so she's like yeah let's do that so he goes and gets his suitcases and i like the image of him like trying to tiptoe past the plant don't That's wake daddy really good yeah exactly so he the plant says feed me and he's like well i'll go down to the store and get you some meat because and that's all you're gonna get from me yeah and in the musical audrey just kind of it's never explained as if the plant has to eat human it is not so seymour asks the question and never gets an answer so seymour very well could have just been feeding the plant like farm animals right the kids in carrie found pigs Right. Well, pig's blood is something you could purchase. People make blood sausage and stuff. Like, oh, you could yeah. buy it. Well, it has to be fresh, so I don't know. How does, how does the plant know? Maybe you warm it up no, like a baby No, he says bottle. must be fresh. Yes, I know, but what if it was just, it was still warm? How's he gonna know? I think he would know. In the stage musical, Audrey just comes back of her own volition. She's, like, had, like, a dream and was, like, something was wrong. I, I came back to the flower shop. But instead, we get what I think is one of the best puppet sequences of the whole movie oh yeah this is this is absolutely done it's like hey you all have worked really hard and this is a time for you to show off so let's do do what you want what literally however you want to do this like i bet the script just said the plant makes a phone call and they were like yeah whatever you want to do it yeah yeah he drags himself across he uses his the floor he uses vines to open the the cash register puts it in dials my favorite though is the three vines Drumming the fingers on the glass. Yeah, on the glass. yeah, it's so lovely. So he lures Audrey back to the shop, and then there's the little moment where the plant, where he like hangs up the phone and then puts his little vine in the coin return slot and like and wiggles it around to see if, it, yeah. see if it came back. Yeah, yeah, that was that was really good. Um, so she comes back to the the thing, and the plant, of course, eats her, or starts to eat her, and it's uh, Rick Moranis to the rescue. And I didn't get here, like, they didn't give her enough blood. I didn't want her to be, like, yucky, but I did want her to be visibly dying, because I was like, and um, he starts talking to her. She does have some, like, puncture wounds in her stomach. Yes, yes, but I just didn't get, she needed blood in her mouth, like, which is the movie symbol for, like, internal injuries and dying. Yeah. Or not like it's like how you yucky, cough but a, you cough into a napkin uh-huh. and there's the blood yes. spot and you're like yes well, she got 40 she, minutes left she needed a little bloody teeth or something because i was like what is what is i didn't she's dying what this she is where look the two dying. cuts diverge yes it's literally right here yeah so in the theat in the theatrical release he pulls her out she survives whatever well, well i'll explain the differences later but he pulls her outside and as Audrey too was eating Audrey. He said, "Join your dentist friend and Mushnick. They're right inside." So, cats out of the bag, y'all. Yeah, yeah. And we get one of my favorite like instances of like lyrics being poetic and beautiful and like sad and tragic 
because she realizes she's dying and she realizes now what makes the plant grow. Right. So she says, feed me to the plant and I'll make it grow. And in a way we'll always be together. And in a way I'll always be somewhere that's green. And it's like, that's just so heartbreakingly beautiful. Yeah, but also, I don't get why Rick does it if immediately after he's going to change his mind. What do you mean? So Rick basically feeds her to the plant and then is like, you're a monster. I can't I can't do this. Like he's His plan is to destroy the plant after he feeds it to Aud- Audrey too? Audrey? No, he was, his plan was to kill himself after. Okay. And then um, no one would take care of the plant, I guess, and it would die. Yeah. Okay. And then the, the orchestration of... of uh, giving him, giving her to the plant and the doors opening. It's just like epic and big and grand and beautiful and sweeping. And I, I love it's it. It's so very Broadway. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's ripped straight from the Broadway score. Yeah. It's basically, they're like, we need enough time for the actor playing Seymour to lift the actress playing Audrey and carry her over to the plant. Uh, so he ends up getting up on the roof. I guess he's going to jump and kill himself. Mm-hmm. And, he, uh, up on the roof is a inexplicably placed Batman-like salesman. Well, so the, it's. I'm glad they did something stupid here too, because in the theatrical release, he pulls her out. They they sing a reprise of "Suddenly Seymour," and they're literally like, "Shows me I can." And as they're mid word, fucking Jim Belushi goes, "Hey, pardon me, excuse me, if you kids could stop singing for just a moment, I want to take a second of your time." So like it's just as stupid in the in the theatrical release. Yeah, so I yeah. appreciate that. But he's got a mini Audrey too, and he's gonna you know merchandiser bigger than hula hoops. Like, he's like, we don't even need you. I was just doing this as a courtesy. Also, I would give a lot of money for one of these, like on the shelf Audrey twos. Yeah, it seems because like there's a no-brainer. Hundreds of them. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, they made a lot of these props. Although, I have a hunch that after the first row, they're all kind of garbagey looking. No, but like when they're all stand up on then they're, they, that shot of the supermarket. Oh, you're right. They do. Yeah, you're it's right. It's like all real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so Seymour realizes now what the plan was all along for the plant. Right. And runs back in to destroy it. And we get Mean Green Mother from Outer Space, which to me just sounds like the Magic School Bus theme song. Oh, it does sound a little it's, bit like it's that. It's got a lot of that like... I don't know. I, I can't describe it because there were. I looked it up because I was like, maybe it was. Maybe they wrote that and I didn't know it, or maybe Levi Stubbs sang it. But no, it's it's Lionel Richie, or no, Little Richard. I, I could see um, Mean Green Mother being a novelty song on its own, not in this show, in the vein of a one hide one horn flying for. Oh, for maybe yeah. Um, and it's this is the first song nominated for best Oscar best best song Oscar with swears in it. Oh, that's cool. So when they had Audrey 2 on stage at the Oscars singing a song, they had to do different lyrics. Oh, I didn't know they had the plant on stage. Oh, yeah. That's no, neat. Levi Stubbs was off stage. I think I think it was the plant in the back, and then they had Levi Stubbs like, in a sparkly suit. Oh, I I'm going to have to look that up. That's really cool. <laughs> he shoots Audrey 2, and we learn that Audrey 2 is basically bulletproof. Yeah, why not? And then Audrey 2 picks up the gun, and it's an... It's a revolver, so we know that there's six bullets in there, and yet it's bullets. infinity bullets. <laughs> I love that. She I really it like with the, the thing she does a little, the like classic gunslinger gun yeah. swirl. I love the destruction in general. This whole sequence of Audrey two smashing the shop all to bits, breaking the counter. Rick's hiding, and the plants are like coming there's around. There's little baby with the vines. heads now, which yeah, is a nod yeah. to the original. 
like original yeah. like original 60s movie yeah all that's really good uh and of course it ends with rick moranis getting eaten which is deeply disappointing but like again in the stage musical he makes the decision to do it he grabs yeah. a machete and says i'll cut i'll destroy you from the inside and like dives in yeah and then obviously just dies doesn't yeah but like that to me even if like obviously that the plan's never gonna work but the 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 impetus behind it being i am making this choice everything has been my choice thus far this is my final choice i think yeah holds more water than the plant just picking him up and eating him i agree it, it, it doesn't seem like he made a choice that went around like the plant at this point like can says like what'd you think all your success came from but it's not like rick was wishing on a star and the plant the monkey it's not like a monkey's paw wish yeah it's just yeah so this leads to the Patton version of the uh, Greek chorus, which is really delightful to me. Yes, uh, we get so finale ultimo slash don't feed the plants, um, which I love. Like I think it's such a great finale to this movie, and this sequence cost five million dollars. <laughs> and like to me, I'm shocked that the studio didn't just like release it as is because it costs so much. Well, you got to think it's like you you can't throw good money after bad. So if you made a mistake and committed a bunch of money, you have to earn back your investment. And if people really hate this ending, you got to get them to come see the movie and tell their friends it's good. So you got to you got to make the investment. Yeah, because um, it is. I mean, I, I will agree. I th- as much as like it makes my little theater kid happy, theater kid heart happy to see this on like full budget, full color, full production value of Audrey two wins. Like this is the end of the stage musical that we all like picture in our heads. Yeah. It makes me super happy. Um, I wish there was a way to do both. And I think you could get away with it. I think you could finagle it as a dream sequence. Yeah. If like basically after Meek shall inherit, you do Audrey run away with me. Audrey gets eaten cut mean green mother here plant eats seymour and then destroys the world cut back to the end of meek shell and Harriet, and he's like i'm now realizing that that's what's gonna happen yeah let me fix it and then do mean green sure. mother and then yeah i think that makes ending. sense yeah that does make some sense it would have also salvaged this and put it in the movie which would be you know because this ending didn't exist for for still, I think there was... It's like ni- 2012, it popped up online. So in, in 2000, I think in like 98 or 2000, the Warner Brothers put out a DVD copy of the movie with this ending, uncolored, uncorrected, unfit. Oh, it was earlier than I thought, okay. It was just like garbage. And David Geffen was like, what the actual fuck are you doing? And like yeah. pulled all those DVDs. So those DVDs are worth money now. Interesting. And then in 2012... These, this group of editors found, like, VHS copies from, like, p- crew members and whatever and, like, didn't tell anyone and just, like, colorized, edited, fixed it all up and cleaned yeah. it up. And then they were like, hey, Frank Oz. Like, they called it the quote-unquote director's cut. And and Frank Oz was, like, over the moon happy that this happened and was like, oh, of that's course great. you can call it the director's cut. Of course. Oh, that's great. But for so so this this full color lovely version didn't exist until 2012, and this movie's yeah. from 1986. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of the, you know, special features, alternate ending stuff is really a modern-y thing, so that doesn't super surprise me that it took a long time, but yeah, it's cool that they are able to find it. Yeah. This this is, uh, you know, the plants are out of control. You got uh, insane people want to buy it. It's Cabbage Patch doll fever, et cetera, et cetera. The plants go all over mm-hmm. the place, and then suddenly the plants go wild. They're out of control, smashing walls, breaking things, smashing through people's lot TV of apartment, sets. Lot of, lot of high-rise apartments get destroyed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's just mass chaos. There's a club that gets smashed. This is all really good miniatures, practical effects. I want to gloss over it, but I don't want to also beat by beat talk about an action sequence. But You it's, can it's find just really it online cool. on YouTube. That Just if you Google, like, original ending, Little Shop of Horrors, you can find it. Yeah. It's just... It's, I, I, my, I do want to call it the one where the smokestack is like billowing out smoke and the Audrey 2 like leans over and takes a mm-hmm. big hit of it like it's a bong and then blows the or no does she the opposite doesn't. blows it inside and blows yeah. it up. I, yeah, you yeah, think yeah. it's going to be that you think it's going to be a, a drug reference but it's not. It's just very good mayhem buildings being smashed cars and then at the end the big the final sign off is it attacks the audience the actual theater audience which is how the original stage version ended for the theatrical release basically what happens is audrey gets attacked he pulls her out she survives there's just a hand wavy i'm alive now he goes back in uh patrick martin shows up to say like i want to sell audrey too moranis goes back in they sing mean green mother he picks up a frayed cable and stabs Audrey 2 with it, and she electrocutes and explodes. Um, Jaws 2. Just, very Jaws 2. Audrey 1 and Seymour embrace and run into Audrey's like dream world of um, somewhere that's green. They go to the house. Yeah. And then um, two of the three Greek chorus girls show up because Tisha Campbell couldn't come back. So oh. it's, it's, I, I, it's so great if you notice it. Cause if you don't think of, if you don't like know what's coming, you don't think about it. You see Michelle Weeks and then you see Tashina Arnold. And all of a sudden the camera starts pushing down really fast so that by the time Tisha Campbell would walk on screen, it's just her waist down because it's a body double. Yeah. Yeah. And it cuts to a little baby Audrey too in the flower garden with a smile and like that's the that's the theatrical ending yeah i do think the upbeat ending is like i totally understand audiences wanting to see that and not liking this big mass chaos mayhem destruction ending it also just points to the medium of film in general because that's what happened with into the woods by disney which like i love into the woods and the fact that they changed that ending is just like literally pooping all over that the point of that story which is like what happens after happily ever after oh it's not happy yeah. and then the disney right. version is like no it's happy again <laughs> and in with with theater when everyone dies they all come out for a curtain call and right. like obviously like it's a movie we know no one died but like your right. stupid little monkey brain is like they're dead they're gone right but in in live theater, they come out for curtain call. You can maybe meet them at the stage door. So it's like it's it things hit differently. Sure, yeah, that's a good point. It it does change the. It also changes the energy because a sad play still ends with a curtain call and everybody cheering and applauding for the mm-hmm. for the performers. So you end on a positive. You always walk out of a theater with positive energy, even if it's the saddest play you've ever seen, saddest musical, whatever. Exactly. Because because that ending is built in. The like you you applaud the the work that you saw. Yeah. And like it, that's it, why it the, 
I always think that there are musicals, there are plays that shouldn't have a curtain call. Like there's like, I think contemporary productions of cabaret that use the 98 version probably shouldn't have a curtain call because it ends with like the Nazis taking over the club and like, just spoiling all these musicals and shows left and right. Oh, here. All, sorry. All of our listeners. Sorry that, sorry that the musical about Germany in 19, <laughs> in the late 30s. I didn't know what Cabaret was about. I yeah. just bought a ticket. I, I, I love Cabaret. Um, I love that musical. Uh, but like, yeah, I think there's certain times that it shouldn't end because like that's that kind of lends credence to the power of what you're saying that like, no, everyone died sometimes and not in a good way, not in the Little Shop of Horrors. Nudge, right. nudge, wink, wink, kind of way. No, I'm, I'm with you. I get, I get. I think you make a good point. Um, obviously, that's the end of the movie. You pick this as your favorite. So we both, we, I already said I was going to recommend it. We know you are going to recommend. But do you have final even thoughts? if you, even if you just have the theatrical, because I have a DVD of the theatrical cut because that's all we had. It, it's the like the old style like plastic clip on the side and the paper paper uh-huh. cover. I I do I do I do enjoy the mayhem of this final ending. I think the other one is a more satisfying movie conclusion because Seymour doesn't like Seymour gets tricked into it in the version of the movie. The yeah, stage the movie the movie different. takes away a lot of his agency and decision making. Right, he's just a guy who had a plan and took care of it and then got in over his head. And so him paying the ultimate price and the world being destroyed is a pretty big consequence for that. I think, but. Um, do you have any other uh, final lingering thoughts on this? No, I think I said it all. It's I said a lot. It's been this is a long one. I I just I I hadn't watched this movie in a while and putting it on I <laughs> it was like I just watched it yesterday and I was just yeah. performing in it yesterday that I was like, "Oh, I still remember all these harmonies and all and I remember what I'm supposed to be singing in all, in all of these songs." <laughs> and I remember every line and every beat and I think it's just if you're into the like clue and I don't know what else is in that style of movie, like very, I'm not sure like heightened. It's very like oh, a heightened oh, oh. specific. Yeah. Yeah. Campy farcical. Like I think I, if you enjoy that, you'll love this. Yeah. I mean, it's super fun. I, I like, as I pointed out, this is not necessarily my cup of tea, but I do think it's, it's very well done, very well made. It's just something that I personally am probably not going to go back to, but you know, excellently made. So, you know, not not a lot to complain about here. Very very fun. The blooper reel is fun on YouTube too. You can because Frank Oz narrates some of it. Oh really? Yeah, and then there's also moments where like you can hear him ta- like directing and talking, and sometimes when he gets like flustered, he sounds like Fozzie Bear. Oh yeah, for just sure. like naturally it's not far so- off his regular voice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, there's one point where Rick Moranis is like, "Are you laughing at me?" <laughs> and you, hear, you swear to God, you hear Fozzie Bear go, I was not. I was not laughing. <laughs> it's so lovely. Yeah, no, it's it's a fun movie. It's it's really well done. And I was a little hesitant watching it, but it, I enjoyed myself very much. So I, I also glad. give it the big thumbs up. So happy birthday. Uh, we you. finally did the movie you've been wanting to do for so long. <laughs> uh, thank you all so much for listening to the show and this new favorite spewary. Uh, we will be back in two weeks for my birthday and uh, we'll be watching a movie that I was terrified until this summer was going to really be ruined for me. But I, I ended up catching most of it while we were uh, we did a quarantine and everybody got together uh, with with our extended family and not extended family, our brother and, and parents. And the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off was on. And I was like, oh, no, is this ruined forever? But 
no, it, I, it's fine. It's I mean, there are things it's in it. Fine. That I, am, I think that's yeah, it's fine. But no, I mean, there are little things in it that are a bother. But I was like really afraid the whole thing was going to feel tainted and bad. And no, it's fine. It's it's OK. It's it's fine. So I'm excited to dig into it. One of my all time favorites and uh, 35th anniversary as well. I think this is 86. We just finished. So. No, a little shop is 86, right? Yes. Little shop's 86. Yeah. So another uh, 35th anniversary, it's Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So that'll be on February 22nd. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't yet, please review the show wherever you get it. If it's not iTunes, uh, send us a screenshot and we read those on the air. Find us on Twitter at Dissect the 80s and Dissecting the 80s on Facebook. And DissectingTheEighties.com has all the old episodes and everything you'd ever want to know about the show. And also, don't forget to visit patreon.com slash dissecting80s to get bonus content, so many episodes to listen to, Die Hard, commentary track for Sleepaway Camp, so many wonderful things. Back to the Future we just did for the Christmas time. So go check that out, patreon.com slash dissecting80s. Thank you again for listening. I've been Trip Lano. I will always be Andrew Lano. Until next time. Don't you forget about me. Dissecting the 80s is a chum sum of this production. <laughs> <laughs>